This episode brought to you by Harvest Media Search. Offering inspired individual designs plus robust online applications. With search, stream and download tools and advanced licensing workflows. Harvest Media, setting the standard globally for publishing and production music. And this is episode 41 of Synchronized. Hi Simon, good to see you again. Adieu Ferry, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm excited today because we've got a great guest today, I think. Um, just to give a little bit of background, and we're going to talk um, about that with him personally, of course. He worked as a booking agent and as a road manager. He worked for Sony Music Entertainment. He's a guitarist at One Day Sky, which is very important. We're going to talk to him about that. And currently, he's working as music content strategist at YouTube. Welcome, JP Singh. Good to see you. Yeah, hey, welcome. Ferry. Hey, Simon. Thank you so much for that awesome intro. It's awesome to be here. Really excited to have a chat with you guys. Thanks for uh, inviting me here to the Synchronized Podcast. You're, You're very welcome. welcome. Um, we always start with um, asking the background of people, and I want to pick out the first thing, a guitarist at One Day Sky, because you're still playing in a band, right? Yes, that's correct. Can you tell uh, us a, a little bit more? Because it was an interesting description about what kind of band it was. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's not everyone's flavor. Um, Genre-wise, it's categorized as a post-hardcore uh, band, uh, which is kind of like a mix of metalcore, um, hardcore, hard rock, and, and you know, very melodic type uh, metal music. Um, I've been playing in the band for 10 years. It stemmed off uh, a bunch of guys in a, in a band um, who I used to play supporting shows with. I was in another band at the time. Um, we disbanded uh, both bands in um, 2010, beginning of 2010. And uh, we started One Day Sky with uh, a vocalist we found online because, you know, the band that we started, we had every single instrument covered except for a vocalist. We found this guy by the name of Clinton Watts uh, online. We hit him up and he said, listen, I'm looking for a band. You're looking for a vocalist. Let's connect. Um, and we started writing straight off the bat. We connected. We've been playing together for more than 12 years. Um, I relocated to London um, and the guys are still, still in South Africa. Uh, but uh, now I'm kind of just playing a part in terms of managing the band, uh, recording and writing music in the comfort of my own home and uh, sending music to the guys back home. So I've, I've kind of stepped away from the performance side and more into the creative music side of things and, uh, you know, taking a little bit of a, a step back, but still writing, you know, still playing guitar. So tell us about your role at um, YouTube and how, how that came to be. Cool. Well, no, of course. So... It was quite serendipitous, to be honest. Um, I was working at Sony Music Entertainment Africa in Johannesburg. Um, you know, I had a really good experience there, worked with amazing artists, amazing people, uh, managed the team in Nigeria and South Africa, uh, worked on uh, streaming partners across the continent of Africa. And it got to a point where I was, I was, I've, I felt like there, was, there wasn't any more further growth for me, but... Uh, I wasn't actively looking for a job and uh, they hit me up, a recruiter from, from Google and YouTube hit me up on LinkedIn and we started chatting, there was a vacancy. Um, they put me through a rigorous uh, interviewing process which was, which was uh, yeah. quite challenging but uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, a learning experience at the same time and um, 
yeah, I was hired hired to join the YouTube music team or, or YouTube team here in uh, London uh, to cover EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Um, they put me in the position of music content strategist. And basically, the role entails putting together a lot of educational resources, best practices, case studies, um, strategizing and planning uh, music, uh, the music vertical within, in, within YouTube and YouTube music as a whole for Europe. Um, yeah, it's quite a, a, a diverse role, to be honest. So uh, Steven Spielberg said that music was more than 50% of his movies. I wonder what percentage of a YouTube video you thought music performed. Oh, wow. Um, you know, music is, is the backbone of all form of visual entertainment when it comes to advertising, film, TV, short form video, even for that matter. Music is the backbone. You know, it's, it's, it's a universal language. It's a universal entity that's quite emotive. It's, a, it's subjective to opinion. You know, it makes you feel certain things, different genres, uh, you know, people have uh, um, affinity towards different genres and makes them feel different things. So in order to have some form of visual content have higher impact, whether it be in film, advertising, or short form, music has to be the backbone to set that foundation, that to set that emotion, to get that emotion uh, in, into movement, basically. Um, and I don't think Steven Spielberg is wrong. Um, right. YouTube... Um, I can't give you an exact percentage uh, of what music is, but uh, yeah, the most I can say is that music is the backbone of, yeah. of all visual visual content. Interesting. So yeah. when I see that uh, you're a music content strategist, does it also mean that YouTube is gathering music content that people can use in the videos that they want to upload to YouTube? So that, that would form part of a different vertical or, or department uh, within YouTube. Uh, my role as a content strategist would be to set certain standards in terms of how things are run, um, how things are communicated and con uh, conveyed externally, um, as well as uh, taking everything internally in terms of our operations, uh, the content that exists within the platform, as well as the content that we um, collect together and put into uh, resourcing and resources, for that matter. So the, the, there is a, a YouTube music library, isn't it? But that's a separate thing altogether. Is that right? Uh, the YouTube music library is, is, is set based on licensed and commercial distributed music. Um, I'm sure you understand how, you know, licensed music is distributed to various streaming partners and, and licensed for com uh, commercial consumption through the uh, digital supply chain. Um, that digital supply chain does feed into YouTube as well, um, which I'm sure you've heard of the content ID um, that we have at YouTube. Um, because YouTube Music is essentially, at the end of the day, we do have a music streaming service um, that music is fed into uh, through the uh, digital supply chain. But the, you just mentioned the YouTube content identification. Um, we've heard a lot about it. Can you, also for people who don't know anything about it, 
uh, explain in a couple of sentences how it works? Sure, of course. Um, so content ID. Um, so copyright management at YouTube today, you know, as you know, consists of three main tools uh, and we work to match uh, the copyright owners with the appropriate tool based on their specific needs and resources. Uh, while also continuing uh, continuously like expanding our features and, and making new investments in, into copyright and music specifically. So copyright uh, owners operating in some of the most complex copyright situations like movie studios, record labels or advertising as well. You know, those those who often experience heavy reposting of, of their copyrighted material. You know, you can see tons of reaction videos on YouTube, movie trailers, uh, ad advertisements uh, on, on YouTube as well. Um, scenes from TV shows are plugged into YouTube. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, the copyright owners who own that content have access to our tool called the Content ID System. Um, which allows them to easily identify and manage their content on YouTube. Um, with the content ID, videos that are uploaded to YouTube are scanned against a database of files that have been submitted to us by the content owners. Uh, copyright owners can then decide what happens when content in a video on YouTube matches a work they own. Um, and copyright owners then choose either to block promote or even monetize their reposted content. So in terms of uh, eligibility, YouTube only grants content ID to, to copyright owners who meet specific criteria. So um, JP, does that mean, you know, for us, say a small music library, they, they're best to go through an aggregator uh, or are they able to deal with you directly with content ID or, or is this something that needs a scale really to make it work? So it depends on the situation. Uh, every situation is unique, um, dependent on the license that is required, the rights that are required as well. Um, best bet is through uh, an aggregator because that uh, aggregators obviously license music for commercial consumption um, into the digital supply chain to be available. Um, and that is where our content ID will match uh, uh, certain content uh, against copyrighted content through the database yeah 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 you, you were saying um there are three options block promote or monetize can you briefly describe what happens when you choose one of those three uh so blocking is just when a, a, a content can't be blocked um Monetizing is when you're able to monetize an ad through advertising and obviously then the rights holders will get paid uh, through that. Is, is blocking the same as muting? Because I've heard that you know, if, you, if you don't want your music used, you can ask YouTube to mute it. So is that the same as blocking, JP, or is, it, is, that, not, uh, no, is that wrong information? Yeah. Blocking will, will give you uh, a strike. Um, Muting is just, you know... Is that an option? You know, if, say, if, say I, I, with my library, choose that I don't want people to use it, could I say to you, can you just mute any instances of it, or is that not an option? Uh, it's not always an option. Um, you will essentially receive an email notification uh, of uh, copy use of copyrighted content, um, and then you have uh, specific options in terms of what you, what you want to do, whether you want to appeal 
whether you want to monetize uh, or whether you want to just not publish your, your video. Can you give us an in indication of, uh, of how many musical work you have in the YouTube, con YouTube content ID system? Uh, yeah, I actually have um, an external statistic that uh, I can potentially share with you around um, how many content ID uh, partners are actually using. I think uh, if you just wait a few seconds with me quickly while I, I was literally looking over this yesterday while I was preparing a presentation. <laughs> But it must have been, there must be a lot of content in your system. Uh, yeah, so let's say content ID in action. Um, we have over 500 hours of video that's uploaded every single minute. We have over 9,000 partners using content ID to manage their rights. Um, over 98% of claims and copyright notices are automated by content ID. And we've had over 800 million plus videos claimed since content ID was implemented. So 800 that, million videos. So that's just to put it into perspective. JP, while we're that's on amazing. interesting big numbers, what um, what's the most viewed YouTube video? How many views has it had? Any idea? Uh, I can't give you the top viewed video, but I can tell you a milestone for quite a few videos is the yeah. billion view mark. The first video to hit a billion views on YouTube was uh, Size Gangnam Style. Um, the quickest video to hit a billion views on YouTube, I think it was BTS Butter, if I, if I recall correctly. Um, I think, well, that was the quickest video that had... Uh, the most growth within 24 hours. This is all public knowledge, so I can't yeah, yeah. share that. <laughs> so I, I, kind, I kind of hoped you would, you would get some secret knowledge uh, now, but... Uh, I, of course, I'm intrigued about how much that represents in your royalties, but I know you're not allowed to say that, but it would be a decent holiday, I imagine, would it, if you had a billion um, I can't. I can't confirm uh, that, but uh, just to rectify my previous statement... Uh, the fastest growing uh, music video within the first 24 hours was BTS Butter, and that hit uh, over 108.2 million views in the first 24 hours. Wow. Um, wow. And the first song to hit 1 billion views on YouTube was Gangnam Style by Sai, so I was uh, correct with that. And in, in our business, JP, we make a very clear distinction between commercial music and production music because production music has always been an alternative for users. Um, sure. Do you, do you make any distinction between... I mean, would you be able to tell us the, the, the particular production music tracks that have hit millions or is it you don't make those distinctions? Uh, we don't. We, unfortunately, we don't. Uh, no. Yeah. So, unfortunately, no comment on that. Um, Because right now we manage um, commercial partners. So do do you view uh, music libraries exactly the same as as commercial music companies? And are we just you know we're similar clients and and there's no real distinction at your end between the two? I mean, it's certainly is it the same rate music? Uh, same rates and things apply for both? Yeah. 
from your so point unfortunately, of view. I can't comment on, on the rates. Uh, okay. Distinguish between commercial and production music. Can I ask if you make a distinction there between the two? Because you seem to say, I mean, one of the things, just to give this context, JP, is that one of the, um, when we talk to senior members of the profession, they say that the two are blending in a way that, that in a sense, the distinction between the two is, is disappearing. So I, I'm just intrigued whether you are, you kind of feel it's already disappeared or whether you still kind of feel there's a distinction and whether that you think that might survive or whether that, like most people think, is kind of disappearing. So let's say right now there is a, a clear distinction yeah. um, and we identify that. Um, but unfortunately, I can't comment further on whether the distinction will disappear. It is industry knowledge knowing that that distinguishment uh, will disappear. But within the context of, of YouTube, unfortunately, I'm, I'm unable to comment on that. Okay. Before we started recording, um, I spoke to you about something new, and that was the YouTube Marketplace. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So YouTube Marketplace is, is, is uh, an incredible opportunity for creators and uh, music rights holders and license holders. Uh, license holders basically youtube um you know there's there's a lot of debate around the platform saying that we're only looking out for one one type of of creator and and not looking out for music or we're only looking out for music and not necessarily focusing on the creator so we have recently launched a tool in the us um, that we'll be rolling out in the rest of europe uh, called YouTube Marketplace, and it's a place where creators uh, can go and buy licenses to um, music that they can use in their videos. Uh, as you know, when a creator uploads a video for Content ID and they choose to monetize, the money earned off that um, off the streams of that video uh, will get paid to the rights holders. The creator makes absolutely nothing um, from that. So now we, we've we've got a tool in place that is a real amazing opportunity for creators and artists alike to pay for a license for a track um, or a piece of music or a piece of licensed music um, and use it in their video. Okay, so, so just that I get it uh, right um, if a creator of a video who uploads a video to YouTube wants to use a certain music and he obtains that music on the YouTube marketplace and he pays a license he can use that music in his video and then he can monetize the video himself yes exactly so that's yes that's, 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 that's the idea yeah okay yeah. and uh, the 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 contributors of the music, JP, they, they will be um, many, many companies or will they all be one YouTube company? Is, is it YouTube music or is it at the world's music? Uh, it's the world's music. So it gets paid to the partner who has licensed that music um, and it's set on a specific deal that, that YouTube has with that partner. I, I can't say any more than that. As you know, in the music industry, every deal is catered differently to towards each partner. So... Um, but my query question you know, is: is is it is that an opportunity? Are you presenting that as an opportunity to us music libraries to say, look, you know, we can uh, help license your music on YouTube? 
100%, but that would, you know, you'd need to uh, obviously then commercially distribute your, your music. Well, that's what license. we do. That's what we do yeah. every day of the week, that's every it. second of the day. And that at the moment, it. you know, at the moment, um, so taking my company, the majority of the music that's used on YouTube, which is a lot of music, is from people using it without my permission. And then I monetize it from um, through advertising, yeah? Um, yeah. You're saying there's a parallel opportunity here where people want to get a license so they can use my music. They'll pay a license fee. That will enable them to monetize it. My monetization will happen in parallel with that. Is that right? Or will I get a cut of what they're doing? Is it you integrate the two monetization systems or? So, so you won't necessarily get a cut, but you'll get paid your agreed uh, license fee. Ah. Yeah. Right. So, um, being a British company, I have to charge the MCPS rate, yeah, the Mechanical Copyright Protection Society rate, um, which you probably know is very high. Um, it's what you might, if you're so inclined, call it uncompetitive. Um, I wouldn't dare say that, being a member. But how will you set the licence fee? You can say it because you're not a member. Is it competitive or not, Ferry, would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely, Simon. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's... The- you agree. Um, so who will set the, the license fee? Will it be a set rate, JP, or will it be completely up to the negotiation or um, a scale? Uh, it'll purely be based on the deal that you make with um, with your partner here at YouTube. Um, every deal needs to be set according to how you feel needs it needs to be competitive um, and accessible as well great so it is an opportunity that's really good to hear that's absolutely an opportunity yeah and i think that's great that you are going to offer that because i think creators want to use great music to accompany their video and it will help creators to um, keep control of their demonetization of their channel and that's what they want of course yeah of course. so that that's available now in the states when do you think that's going to be available in the rest of the world or in europe um, so for the rest of the Europe, uh, teams are just busy trying to finalize uh, last deals, um, but that's I can't comment more on that. It will be launching in the rest of the Europe quite soon. Okay. Yeah. So uh, look, uh, macro question, JP. What's it like operating in an environment where you don't really have any competitors? I mean, because Fair and I, uh, our days, are, you know, it's all about competitors. We have many of them. YouTube is obviously there are one or two smaller competitors, but uh, essentially you've got the market. What's it like? Is it a great sense of confidence that you have um, that gives you or does it give you come with responsibilities? Uh, it, it does come with responsibilities and I won't say that we don't have uh, competitors. Uh, I think we like to believe in healthy competition um, for all industries, no matter what we're, what we're doing in YouTube. Uh, you know, one of our major philosophies is is to collect the world's information, make it available to the world, freely available to the world. From YouTube, we 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 uh, have a responsibility to make sure that um, you know we we offer the right information and content to the right audiences, um, and that we're not misleading any audiences. But in terms of competition, we do have... There's a lot of competition on the music side of things. Right. Um, 
the other partners that exist out there that you know we, we're playing in the realm of streaming so because uh, youtube essentially is a video streaming service um from a music side of things we, there's there's very strong competition um but i would say it's it's healthy competition between different platforms that we're keeping each other on 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 each other's toes and jp do you throw anything away or do all the videos that are put up they're in perpetuity now i mean or do you weed the garden at any point for things that are just not viewed um everything that comes into youtube is uploaded um but you know it is vetted whether it's made for kids yeah. uh, and if it's not made for kids if it's not there are age restrictions there's certain criteria for video they get uploaded if it's just you know uneducational or it's if it's promoting violence or hate speech or or, or anything they they do get not noticed or, or at least um, flagged um, because you know content consumption is a very sensitive thing as it does influence children teenagers um, even from a music perspective you know looking at uh, music videos whether it's over sexualized if it's not gender neutral if it's not inclusive there's, there's so many things we need to consider um but uh you know if if it's if it doesn't meet a specific uh i don't know how to phrase this if let's say if a video isn't uh um isn't easily accessible and educational, you know, it will get flagged. That, that yeah. you know, that's all I can say. <laughs> so, and um, you must have millions of servers, and is it? And if you're getting five hundred, what did you say? Five hundred hours a minute. New five hundred hours of video is uh, uploaded every hour. And so, how many servers does five hundred hours? I suppose I'm just imagining what your server banks. How many there are? And what? Uh, at some point, one of your guys is going to say, "Enough with the servers." You know, we've. Uh, <laughs> let's throw the stuff yeah. away that's not actually doing anything cool so i'll go back and re, uh, rephrase my statement it was 500 hours of video every minute not every hour i apologize yeah. for that wow um yeah servers must be insane i have no view of, of where the servers sit which country they're in or how big they are but i can only imagine with that amount of of video coming in that uh you know we need a lot of space. <laughs> well, that's that's a nice thing. I think about cloud services because Google has uh, its own cloud servers. Uh, as a user of cloud services, you don't have to worry about stuff anymore. You know, you just it's just about creating. We we add music all the time, and well, fifteen years ago we had to think, okay, we are running out of hard disk space, and now you can just keep on creating. It's that's very liberating, I think, and that's what cloud services have supplied. I think yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. No, definitely. So another question I would like to ask you, uh, JP, is that um, what we've seen in our industry uh, is that uh, we have like the original publisher who comes from, say, the States, and they work with sub-publishers in different territories. Very old-fashioned way of working. How does uh, YouTube, I don't know whether you can say uh, anything about that, how do you deal with all those territories? Because you are a global company. There are no boundaries. There are no um, territories. 
the territory is the world and maybe for you guys even the universe. So how, how do you deal with that? Uh, that would have to be a question for uh, my bus business development uh, team uh, and colleagues. Um, I can't necessarily say how, how we deal with it, but we do have a very strong team that uh, work very closely with publishers, rights societies, uh, collection societies in different markets uh, of the world. Uh, so we have a team that ha handle publishers and rights societies in South Africa, for that matter. We have a team that handle publishers in France. We have a team that handle um, copyrights, publishers and collection societies in the UK, Germany. So do we, you know, we have teams that, that handle each entity uh, in their respective markets. JP, tell me if I've got this wrong, but my understanding is that if uh, somebody uses a piece of my music on your platform, that attracts performing royalties and that those performing royalties are distributed by you guys or they're reported to each territory. Is that correct? So um, you don't just report the performance to one PRO. You have to report to each territory. Is that right or have I got that wrong? As uh, far as I understand... They should be reported to each uh, PRO in each in each market. Yeah, but uh, I can't uh, confirm whether that is um, the case. So it, unfortunately, it, it, I can't comment. But in theory, is that based on? Sorry, JP. In theory, is that based on where the viewer is? So if somebody views it in Japan, that viewing should be reported to the Japanese PRO, and if somebody listens in London, that should be reported to PRS. Is that right? Is that how it? Is that, that your is understanding? That is it. Uh, yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's complicated. Wow. So That's I was about to say the same thing. That's, that's what we've been talking about, of course, several episodes now. It's like, um, it's restricting. I can understand, and, and you don't have to comment on that, uh, uh, JP, uh, but it's restricting and it's making things uh, very complicated. Yeah, no, that, that, that is definitely um, one thing about the music industry um, that uh, is public knowledge. Uh, well, not necessarily public knowledge, but it's trying to become public knowledge. Uh, there's a podcast that was done a few months ago um, with uh, someone from the music industry. I can't, oh my gosh, I can't remember her name. But I recently watched uh, her have a talk with Pete Tong at uh, IMS. In, in Ibiza at the International Music Summit. And it is very complicated in terms of how partners are paying um, rights holders and publishers around the world and how it's reported to the various uh, PROs around the world. Um, it is common knowledge knowing that if, say, for example, an artist releases a track um, uh, worldwide via an aggregator, um, all streams in a specific country will be reported to that specific country's PRO to pay uh, that revenue from that country and then um, down the funnel into, into the artist's accounts of sorts. Um, but yeah, the, the talk is that the, um, the, there's, there's no set global database for PRO reporting which does make it very complicated. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't comment from a YouTube perspective. That's just a uh, general, general um, statement, yeah. yeah. Because we've been talking about this uh, quite often, 
um, it, it seems pretty easy. You guys have all the information of how many streams there were for that video um, and all these PROs that are involved make it more complicated. Yeah. No, 100%. Do you see a future for blockchain technology in, in, in simplifying this? Uh, I don't know where blockchain is going. Um, I can't comment from a YouTube perspective, but the way we see uh, the industry investing into blockchain technology, like the use of NFTs, um, it is changing the way consumption and investment into artists are happening. Um, we can slowly see certain platforms and online platforms investing into blockchain technology when it comes to music streaming and music ownership. But uh, yeah, I think we still have to see where it's going to go. Um, it's too ambiguous right now, I think. It's obviously very complicated. I wonder whether the you find it easier to deal with the royalty-free libraries who have just kind of got rid of some of these royalty streams. They just, you know, they just ignore. Does that make your job easier or make it harder? Um, I can't comment on that because of my job. It, it doesn't really affect my job. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'd have to see what happens uh, as, as everything evolves. Yeah, I mean, because you're, it strikes... Sorry, Craig. Just it just strikes me that, that you that YouTube has come into a business that's incredibly hidebound by rules, traditions, ancient practices, and you're trying to do something thoroughly modern. And the music business is is really gives you an awful lot of headaches, I should imagine. And so, you know, you must be um, trying to persuade the bigger record companies to s streamline some of their practices and just where we're sitting, Ferry and I, uh, the people who are trying to streamline it are the, the, the disruptors, basically, uh, who are trying to just get rid of all the complications, and they're succeeding, actually. And hence my question to you, you know, do you find it easy to deal with them? Because, you know, in theory, it looks like they probably would be easy to deal with because, you know, the, the music business is very complicated. Yeah, so the music, music industry has always been complicated, right? I yeah. mean, if, if, we look at, if we look at the news of the past few months, a few labels are just disregarding recoup um, um, revenue from from catalog, correct? You know, um, and I think um, from YouTube's perspective, we we've always been a, a platform that that wants to empower our creators, empower artists. We want to support them and and grow their 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 careers um you know we believe in music we believe in 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 in, in uh, having it available um to everyone but in saying that the music industry is 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 quite a complex industry um and i think our teams on a global level are doing their best to make sure that we can support the industry any any possible way um, and that we can we can be the platform that 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 artists, managers, and labels want to come to and, and look for support on how they can do better on the platform and how they can utilize the tools and services that we have uh, to help them grow. So, um, 
I do know that we definitely want to see the industry grow and we'd love to grow with them. It certainly is growing, isn't it, musically? Absolutely. Yeah. Got a question for you, JP. You are a musician. Are you also yeah. a composer? Yes. Yes, okay. So what, what do you think, what, what kind of music uh, do you compose? Is, is it music songs or have you also composed music specifically for pictures or, or videos? <laughs> it's purely for my own entertainment uh, as a hobby. I haven't uh, released anything commercially besides music uh, I've released as uh, as a collective with my bands. Um, yeah, just composing stuff just for the pure fun of it. I haven't released anything commercially. I'm too self-conscious and embarrassed to do it. I don't think I have the confidence to commercially release any composed scores or anything right now. So, JP, can we find One Day Sky on YouTube? Uh, yeah, One Day Sky is on YouTube. We're also on all the other streaming services. Um, we've done our best to kind of, you know, utilize the platform as best as we can. Um, we have a team in our band filled with, with tons of, of, of talents. So we've kept everything in-house. Um, we've done, produced all our own videos. We've uploaded them all into YouTube. They're all assigned content ID. Uh, um, they were, you know, we, we commercially distribute them through an aggregator uh, because we do everything ourselves. Um, but yeah, we're on YouTube. JP, just, just sidebar, when I asked you about competition, you kind of referred to the music streaming platforms as being the competition. Um, sure. I mean, I would also say that the you know the growth of Disney, uh, Netflix, these are all competition. And one of the unique things about YouTube is you don't charge a monthly subscription. So you know that's a that's kind of a brilliant uh, way of gaining the upper hand, if you like. Your business model is very different, right? You're not charging nine ninety nine a month, um, but in a sense, you are competing for airspace, aren't you, with 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 those guys. Um, yeah, I think everyone's competing for, for airspace right now, and it's purely based on, on the value uh, that we offer. Um, you know, YouTube is, is a free-to-use platform. Anyone can join it. Anyone can create content. Anyone can upload. Uh, any artist can write music and show their journey uh, on YouTube, which is, as we know, if, if I put it into this metaphor, music is something we listen to and it makes us feel something. But when we listen to something and we see an artist have a show, we want to go and support that artist live. When we see that artist live, we get that audiovisual experience. It's what we hear, it's what we see, it's what we feel. Um, YouTube, I think, is the only platform that it gives that. It's visual and it's audio and it makes you feel something. It's, it's about storytelling. Artists upload music videos. We look at the traditional sense of music videos. Music videos are used as collateral to promote the release of a song. But now music videos have become more about an experience, about a, a, a story that wants to be told. Uh, you know, showcasing talents of an artist or, you know, just showboating for that matter. However, it's used as a promotional tool to push recorded music. For YouTube, we have that for artists. We have that for labels. Um, artists can do everything on YouTube from showing behind-the-scenes footage in, in studio. They can take uh, their fans and audiences on tour with them by doing live streams while they're on tour, giving tour updates. 
They can upload teasers of music videos to trailers of music videos. They can turn their music videos into many, many movie stories. If we look at artists like 30 Seconds to Mars, Jared Leto and his team have put a lot of work into creating stories out of their music videos. And other artists have followed suit. Um, and it's YouTube provides that audiovisual experience. Now, obviously, because it's a free-to-use service, there's also a premium service that we have as well. And the premium service cuts out all advertising. Um, so you get uh, YouTube exclusive content. You also have access to uh, YouTube Music Premium, which has no advertising in it as well. So then it works exactly the same way as, as you would um, say a premium service or premium subscription to Spotify for that matter. If you look at uh, Spotify's freemium service, you're only limited to like X amount of skips. I think it's six or eight skips every hour. Um, there's advertising as well. So it kind of cuts out your, your listening experience. For YouTube's freemium service, it's purely just advertising. Right. You're not limited to the amount of skips. It's purely just advertising that you have. But if you subscribe to the premium service, there's it cuts out advertising. Uh, you can have background play when your screen switches off. You could still listen to audio that comes out of your phone. Um, and advertise, uh, advertisements are cut out on, on premium exclusive content that's available on, on YouTube exclusively, uh, which is really cool. Um, as well as other, other uh, um, uh, services that we offer within the live redirect realm called uh, After Party. Artists go live after a music video premiere and they get to interact with their fans. However, that's only uh, exclusively available to premium subscribers. Um, and it's not available to, to uh, freemium users of YouTube. So, you know, there are pros and cons and perks of both. Um, I know the vast majority of my friends all use uh, uh, YouTube free freemium service, but a, a handful of my friends use, use premium and it's they all love it. You know, YouTube is always the go-to. Uh, there's a question I always ask friends. Um, how did you learn about photography for that matter? Because some friends do it as a hobby. They learned about photography on, on YouTube. Um, how did you learn how to use Photoshop? Oh, well, I used YouTube. How did you learn how to do this? YouTube is a very educational platform where you can go and find things. But from a music perspective, it's a place to listen to music, watch music, experience music, engage with your with artists. Um, you can get concert tickets uh, from from your artist channel if they plug in their concert tickets. You can buy merch of their YouTube channels. You know, it's just such a full three sixty platform that gives you so gives not only the artists and their team opportunity, but the audience as well, some like really cool experiences. So JP, when uh, MP3s started becoming the norm, you know, they were quite low bandwidth because we didn't have much yeah. memory and stuff. And of course, as memory's getting bigger, the bandwidth is getting bigger with the music. Is that the same with YouTube? I mean, each year, do you are you able to use higher bandwidth music and where are you going to be satisfied or do you satisfy the audio files now with sort of 48k 24-bit music um or what's, um, the, sta what's the standard for a, a youtube video music wise what typical what are we so hearing I, I, can't, I can't comment on the technical side of things but what i do know is that there is a very high quality of audio um and and visual 
you can actually stream up to 4K okay. video right. on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to audio, I think it's a base set standard. If you're going through an aggregator, you know that there's a set format that you have to submit for, for digital distribution, uh, which goes into um, YouTube. Uh, but I can't give you the technical um, format. So when you look into your crystal ball, would you say that that's one of the things that will get better and better quality? My own personal crystal ball, I would yeah. say yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, quality is a big thing when it comes to audiovisual um, consumption. And do you think uh, um, that the interaction on a platform like YouTube is also going to change? because of like uh, 3D glasses or stuff like that? Um, I, can't, I can't say yet. I actually can't say um, what the visual experience is going to be like for YouTube and how it's going to evolve and change. Um, I just know that YouTube has always led audiovisual consumption um, over the many years that we've, we've, we've been around. But... Uh, I think what I can say is that YouTube are just going to do their best to evolve and and, and um, move with the market and and just give the audience what 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 they what they need. You know, um, audiovisual consumption is always changing and evolving. So I can't say for certain where we're going to go. I mean, we recently just launched uh, another product in YouTube called Shorts, which is. Uh, the short form content, um, to put it in a metaphor, um, shorts is our appetizer in terms of content consumption. Uh, and the appetizer will lead into our main course of long form video. So if you're an artist or composer or uh, uh, anyone involved in music, shorts can be the appetizer to push to your 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 long form video onto your channel um, and give you a little t teaser taster um, and then moving beyond your your mains of of consuming long form video would be to subscribe to to, to your favorite artist or to your favorite youtube channel so it kind of forms a, a journey uh, from like short form video into long form video into becoming a fan of, of a channel and consuming and, and being a retained subscriber to their channel by watching all the videos that they upload going forward, you know? JP, this is not a Google question. This is a personal question to you. How, how much, how, what's the shelf life of stereo, do you think? I mean, how long before stereo becomes just like too flat for anybody? It's just kind of, you know can't be doing stereo anymore. Uh, sure from a from a personal personal um standpoint i love stereo uh but as we can see so many places are evolving now with uh very high quality audio like uh lossless waves or web files being being consumed and dolby atmos yeah um I know Dolby Atmos is, is providing like a, an immersed audio experience in terms of quality. Uh, I know a lot of engineers are mixing in 7.1 audio now for Dolby Atmos. Um, but I don't know if it has kicked off right now. Uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, 
audio evolution. I can't say. I know I'm going to get a lot of comments from some sound engineers going, oh, we do this and that. But, you know, for me personally, um, I just love good quality audio. It's um, quite interesting. Qu- quite a lot of people's houses you go in now, though, you know, they've got surround systems um, and a typical sports program will provide, you know, the crowd back here and, you know, it's an amazing experience. And then you go to yeah. the advert the advert break and it, some of them are in surround, but most of them are just, it hits in stereo, you've got nice stereo music, you've got a voice in the yeah. middle, you know, yeah. where, where's the background? Well, suddenly you're not immersed anymore. You're just watching a, it, you know, it's it's like an old a theatre with just a proscenium arch, there's the thing. Whereas yeah. modern modern theatre gets inside, you, know, you get in it, you get in the theatre, and the theatre gets in you. So I wondered, isn't it just a classical egg, chicken and egg situation? If enough people would have these surround systems at home, also the advertisers will will make sure that their advertising uh, is is recorded that way. Well, yeah, and ha- where, I mean, will you immediately start producing five point one music, Ferry? I mean, here's here's a question for Ferry and, and you, Simon. Yeah. Um, if you go to the cinema, what would you go? Would you go to a, a regular cinema or would you go to IMAX? Well, IMAX out of choice. IMAX, yeah, yeah. See, uh, I, I guess it, it all boils down to personal preference, right? IMAX, you get the full surround sound um, experience. In a in a normal cinema, you'll have stereo, right? There's the stereo uh, experience. So, I guess it all boils down to personal preference. I think, and it also boils down to a moment in time. You know, most of my adult life, I worked as a composer for TV, and twice yeah. I, I built surround studios, thinking this is going to offer a whole new level to to broadcasters. And twice I walked away thinking they don't want it. Even if they do want surround, well, they want me to give them stereo, and then they'll build the surround or give them stems or something. They don't want me to produce a finished surround picture. Um, yeah. So, but I don't feel defeated by that. I just feel I was too early, in, if you like. Um, so I, I kind of, why well, I was asking you to look into your crystal ball is because you're right at the cutting edge of all this. So, you know, with virtual reality, augmented reality, that's going to, people are going to be wearing headphone systems that do have surround sound as I understand it um, so when people watch YouTube on these things will you be looking to provide them with surround music do you think who knows yeah who do knows? you the question is do you not, I, I, I can't I can't say um, so, somebody just wants to know so you can invest in a new studio again <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's it's that that's purely like a, a technical thing. So um, you know, I, I may I mainly focus on music content strategies more than than the technical side of things. And then uh, when product launches come in, then I know about them. So um, when uh, you know, I'll know. <laughs> well, we're almost at the end of this episode of Synchronized. I just first of all I want to thank you very much for being our guest and and taking the time um, having this chat. Can you give our listeners, people who love and, and breathe music, can you give them a little bit of advice, what, what kind of music they should make, or maybe just some general advice, what they should do with their music? Um, cool. Um, there's a saying that I love the most about music, is that music is subjective to opinion. So... The operative words there are subjective and opinion. So 
if you're into music and and you love what you do, just create what you love. Um, don't don't chase don't chase the sunsets. Don't chase the stars. Don't chase the highs. Just keep doing what you love. I think passion will drive your creativity, and um, you know, uh, just keep creating music if you're a creator or, or an artist. Um, if you're looking to distribute your music, just do some some research. You know, get involved in some aggregators who can commercially distribute your music to all the streaming platforms. Um, you know, get involved in YouTube. Document your journey as an artist. Look at filming yourself on 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 a camera and uploading your journey to YouTube, and bring your friends, your fans, your family um, with you on YouTube. There's there's a whole other world out there by by being an artist on YouTube. You know, you can immerse your fans into your life, into your creative process. It's such an immersive experience, both visually and audibly. Like you're not just releasing music and then posting on social media. You know, you're actually sh giving your 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 fans. Or potential fans because you know people can find you on youtube and and learn about you there um it's just a beautiful place to get involved with and, and grow your career and give people engage with fans in it as well um there's just so much that you can do on youtube that 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 uh you know isn't necessarily possible anywhere else um and the world's basically open to you um there's just so much opportunity uh, as if you're an artist and a creator, then, uh, you know, if music's your passion, why not show the world that? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a great end uh, to this uh, episode, I think. Again, JP, thank you for um, being with us. Simon, any final thoughts? Well, yeah, JP, great, great talking to you and um, all power to your elbow. Use more music, make the music grow. I'd just like to say to our viewers, to our listeners, uh, if you like this episode, please give us a, a good rating and we'll get more great guests like JP. Thanks for listening. Cheers okay. now. Well, thank you uh, very much. And Simon, see you in two weeks. Yeah. Ciao. Okay. Bye.